Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, let it challenge us. Let it uh, be a light that will point us in the right direction. Let it illuminate any darkness that might exist anywhere around us. Um, let it lift burdens, destroy yokes. Um, let it encourage us, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're continuing our, our series, uh, The Journey into God's Promises, but we took a, a sort of pit stop. Um, where we spent last week's Sunday talking about the power of words and we're going to be doing the same this Sunday as we journey into God's promises. And our foundation text was taken from Exodus the 24th chapter. Exodus the 24th chapter. Now, uh, what's happening in this scripture I'm about to read to you, uh, the children of Israel have been told many things that um, God would have them do and what he will do in return um, a sort of covenant. And at this point in time, they are about to affirm the covenant. Um, and so the Bible says, verse 1, Now he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. This is where I was going from, verse 3. So Moses came up and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. As we said last week, the affirmation of the covenant, the triggering of the covenant, the, 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 the catalyst for the covenant, for, for the promises that God made to them and for their promises to him, the catalyst to bring it to pass were the words that the people spoke. As they spoke words in affirmation, uh, the covenant was established. It's no different with us. Even if we have a new covenant, we do have a new covenant. It's a better covenant. But we establish that covenant by speaking it into being. Um, we spoke about how significant words are. Um, because one of the major ways that the enemy tries to trap the Christian is by words. Um, 
spoken words, we, we've dealt with that, but critically, the words that he plants in our minds as he tries to control our thought life. The average person thinks 30,000 thoughts a day. The enemy wants to control as many of those 30,000 thoughts as he can. He wants to plant words that will allow him to control that space where we think our minds. And he does this by the words that he plants. Frankly, his modus operandi, the way he operates, is by words. And we must understand this because we must win the war of words and we must win that war of words in our minds. You know, Shala and I have started going on a journey in this regard and we are, we are realizing more than we've ever realized before the amazing power of the human mind. It's an amazing instrument, an amazing machine that God has put in our, in our lives, the human mind, released to the Spirit of God, you'll be amazed as to what can happen to a life uh, when we allow the Spirit of God to harness the potential that has been put in our minds. How does Satan operate? His aim is to enslave the mind. His aim is to pollute the mind. His aim is to plant negative words, to plant doubt in minds. And he does this by the words that he uses. Look at the way he shows his operation in Genesis, the third chapter. This is the first time we see him go into operation. And it sets a pattern as to how he operates. Genesis, the third chapter. You know the story, the fall of man. Verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the, the, the Satan comes in through a serpent. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the, of the garden? What is he trying to say to the woman? He's trying to sow into her mind the possibility that God could have told her a lie. The possibility that God asked her to do something that was not in her interest. That God is somehow keeping something. And isn't that how Satan works? The thought comes into our minds that, that beyond that boundary, God has set a boundary, but we just think as Satan sows those, those thoughts into our minds by words, we begin to think, well, what if I went across that boundary? What if I went a bit further? And then the woman starts to engage him in conversation, which is not really a very wise thing, engaging Satan in conversation, apart from conversation to rebuke him and put him in place. The woman says to him, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, verse 2 and 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, it's interesting, this is a sermon for another day, but the woman actually adds to God's instruction. And I, well, one of the reasons that um, is suspected that the woman did so was because she didn't hear the instruction directly from God. She heard it from Adam. Adam heard the instruction, and Adam, Adam was given the instruction, and Adam told her the instruction. That's why I say to people, it's great to have 
people uh, teach you the word. It's great to have people you look up to. It's great to have people you listen to and you watch. But please, always be like the Berean Christians. When you've heard something, go back home and check it against the word of God. That way, nobody's ever going to deceive you because you're constantly checking it against the word of God. And so, the serpent now says to her, verses 4 and 5, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. By this time, the seed that he has sowed into the garden of her life is now about to become weeds. You know, he's sowed some doubt. He's, he's muddied the waters. He's, he's sowed some confusion. And now he's just about to tell her that God is a liar. God lied to you. God doesn't want you to be like him, and so he told you a lie. And once the woman ate the bait of those words that had become thoughts in her mind, the rest is history. We find out that she eats the fruit, and she offers the fruit to her husband who eats the fruit. You see, you must understand that the enemy wants to control your thought life, the prize for the enemy. The Bible says in John 10 verse 10, uh, Jesus says, uh, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The method by which the enemy achieves his mandate, his ministry of stealing, killing, and destroying is at, at the basic level is by controlling minds, by enslaving minds. And he does this by the words that he speaks and the thoughts that he plants in minds. His aim is to control your thought life. He understands how powerful your mind is. He understands what an awesome machinery that God has created in your mind. And he just wants to gain control of that machinery. And so we have to fight all we can to make sure that he does not gain control of our minds. You know, that's why the Bible says in Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse, it says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. It's as simple as that. Guard your heart. One translation says, with all diligence, guard your heart. For it affects all that you are. For one translation, as this translation says, the wellspring of life flows from it. If, I'm, if I was Satan and I understood how significant your heart, when the Bible talks about your heart here, it's talking really about your mind. When, if I understood how significant it was, then my target would be your mind. Because I know that if it is the wellspring of life, all I have to do is pollute that well and I have affected your life. So the Bible says, above all, guard your heart. Above all, guard your heart. Protect your mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, <clears throat> For as he thinks in his heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, one translation says, so is he. You are who you are, what you think in your heart. So if I can, if the enemy can affect your heart, seize your mind, enslave your mind, he has enslaved you. And so we are encouraged to guard our hearts, 
to protect our minds, to make sure that the enemy doesn't have sway there, does not rule there, does not control our thoughts and control our thought, lives, our thought life because if he does, then he controls us. I love this quote by Louis, Louis, Louis Hay. I do not fix problems. I fix my thinking. Then problems fix themselves. It is all about my thinking, my mind, my thoughts. If, if, if I can gain control by the Spirit of God, submit it to the Spirit of God, then the problems fix themselves. So we're not chasing after problems. No, we're fixing our thinking. James Allen, um, he wrote that book, uh, famous book, as, as, as a man thinketh in his mind. Uh, James Allen says, you, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. That's what it's about, the mind, the thoughts in your mind. I mean, did you know that as much as 80% of the sicknesses and diseases that plague mankind originate as thoughts out of the thoughts in a person's mind? If your thoughts are toxic in any way, uh, if your thoughts are negative in any way, just having those negative thoughts or those toxic thoughts or fear or anxiety or worry or any of those negative emotions, have them rooted in your thought life. More likely than not, 80%, there's an 80% chance that it will lead to some sickness or, or some disease. And you know, medicine is now finding this out, finding out that the most powerful medicine against sickness and disease are right thoughts or positive thoughts or a right mindset or a positive mindset. We know that from the Word of God. We know, as the Bible says in Proverbs 3 verse 8, that when we have the Word of God in us, when we, when we are close to God, we are listening to God, that, that then, as the Bible says in verse 8, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Amen? You know, I can't overemphasize the significance of our thought life and our minds. And I can't overemphasize how the enemy is determined to sow seeds as words that will breed negativity and toxicity and, and, and things that are not right and dark in our minds. And once he does that, then he has control of our, our thought life. So there are three things that I want to bring to our attention that we need to do so that we can win that war concerning our minds or our thought lives. Number one is we must accept that we have the responsibility to make a choice. The enemy wants us to think we don't, but we have the responsibility to make a choice. If we don't start from that premise, then the enemy is going to have us for lunch. We must understand that in this matter of the war of words, we have a responsibility to make a choice. We can decide that I don't want that thought in my, my life. I don't want that mindset in my life. Now, we might not be able to do anything about it on our own immediately. That's where the Spirit of God comes in. 
But the Spirit of God is not going to make the choice for you and I. We must rise up to the place of responsibility and make the choice. I don't want to be thinking those immoral thoughts. I don't want them anymore. I don't want to be thinking those dark thoughts. I don't want to think those thoughts about death. I don't want to think those thoughts about tragedy. I don't want to sleep and wake up with worry on my mind. I really don't want this rock of unforgiveness to, to be sitting in my mind anymore. We must make the choice. Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter and the 19th verse. This is what God says. And it's a choice that is always put before us. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. I'm saying to you, Jesus House, choose life today. Always choose life. If worry comes, it is death. Choose life. If darkness comes, it is death. Choose life. If that, if that, that dream, that thing that, that makes, makes you think about tragedy comes, it is death, choose life. You have a choice. You're not without a choice. You have a choice, choose life. God says it's before you, life and death. It's always before us. But you have a choice, choose life. Today, choose life. Make a conscious decision that no more negative thoughts, no more worry, no more anxiety. I don't want it anymore. Reject it. Cut your ties with it. Put, put it out there so that the kingdom of darkness knows that this mind is no longer a garden for you to sow weeds in. I'm going to give it to the Spirit of God to plant what God wants planted in it. So take the responsibility of choice. Number two. Unfortunately for most of us, the enemy has already sown tears or, 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 or seeds that have become weeds, unfortunately. And the reason is simple. Um, for many years, we didn't know God. For many years, we opened up our ear gates and our eye gates to all kinds of things. You know, um, my wife, Shola, is, this is, this is, this is a, an area that she's passionate about. And she became passionate about it largely out of her own life experience. Um, as a young girl growing up, she was very inquisitive. And she watched a lot of uh, movies and read a lot of books to do with uh, the kind of things Stephen King writes about, um, things to do with darkness and, you know, um, you know murders and all, some of these so-called detective movies but that involve all kinds of gory deaths and stuff. She watched a lot of that stuff, read literally everything Stephen King had. The result of that was that when she, after, after she became a Christian, her mind was plagued by these dark thoughts and, and those things that she had seen. Of course, what had happened, she had opened up her mind to the enemy by opening up her eye, her, her eye gates and her ear gates. She had seen too much. She had read too much. The thoughts 
in her mind had been planted by the numerous Stephen King novels she had read. These novels can seem like innocent novels. There is a bit, a bit of you know, some witchcraft, a bit of wizardry, you know, a bit of um, some macabre you know, things, a bit, you know, a bit of some goriness, you know, nothing really major. But the enemy is using them to plant seeds, and those seeds will grow one day, and they will not grow as lovely plants or lovely flowers. They will grow up to become weeds. And that's what had happened to her, loads of weeds in her heart. And so that's what drove her into this area, drove her into the Word of God, drove her into confessing and declaring the Word of God. And I have watched her progressively pull out all those weeds from her heart until her heart, by God's grace, is now a garden where it is only what God planted that has grown in it. You have to protect yourself. So the second thing is that you must pull out the weeds that have been planted. You just have to pull them out. If you don't pull them out, guess what happens? I'm sure you know what happens. The weeds will grow, they will mature, and then they will, they, they will burst and plant more seeds themselves, and eventually your heart will be full of weeds rather than full of plants or beautiful flowers. Pull out the weeds. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 4 to 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. What does that scripture say? It tells us that the battle is in the mind. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not natural weapons. But we do have weapons. And these weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are some of these weapons we have? We have the name of Jesus. We have the blood of Jesus. These are powerful weapons to pull down any strongholds that have been erected in our minds. And you'll be amazed as to how many of us as Christians are walking around with strongholds in our minds. What a tragedy that we have been ransomed to freedom, but we are not really free because our minds are still enslaved, enslaved in some addiction to pornography, enslaved with some anxiety and worry, enslaved with fear, just to name a few, enslaved with unforgiveness, enslaved with bitterness, enslaved with toxic thoughts that have become strongholds. We sing the songs, we, we say the right things, we speak the Christianese language, but really if we could see our hearts, we are living with strongholds. That's no freedom. We were ransomed for freedom. Uh, we were bought to be free, and we are free in the name of Jesus. So we must wage war against the, the, what the enemy has planted in our minds, determined to uproot them and, and determined to destroy the words that have become thoughts that have taken us captive. And the Bible says we do that by pulling down strongholds, by casting down arguments, anything that is Standing against the word of God is an argument against the word of God. By pulling down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It says by bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, when you get something captive, when you take something captive, it paints a picture of a hunter. 
And sometimes you've got to hunt in your mind for these words. You, you know, the enemy plants them. You know, instantly you're afraid. You, then you know that there's something that's planted there. There's a thought that's roaming around. You'll be amazed as to how many thoughts roam around. You'll be amazed as to people that I've spoken to and, and, and they're so afraid because of their children. Because the enemy has told them this child is going to die. That's a devilish thought. You must take it captive. When you take it captive, you are holding it prisoner. It has no right to move around. And then you cast it out of your mind. You must win that battle of your mind. How many people has the enemy told you won't succeed? That's a devilish thought. How many people has the enemy told that you will fall sick, you will get cancer, you will get this, you will get that? That's a devilish thought. And every time you hear a story, the thought rises up. You are held bondage, enslaved by those thoughts. How many have strongholds where thoughts of, that are fueling anxiety and worry are roaming around in our minds? And you know, the, it, when you take it captive, it paints the, the picture of something roaming around. You know, you've kind of left that kind of life. You want to move on, but, 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 but the images won't leave your mind. I'm sure some guy knows what I'm talking about. That's not the, that's not the life you live, but the images, the thoughts are still in your mind. Then you must take them captive. You must bind them, shackle them, put them in chains, and throw them out of your mind. You must pull up those weeds and cast them out. Number three... You must fill yourself with the Word of God. It's the only way. How do I make the right choices? How do I make sure that I don't make costly mistakes? How do I not succumb to that thought that is saying, go left, when I really should have gone right? I do that by making sure the Word of God is in me. Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love the picture of that, of that scripture. A lamp to my feet. It tells me what to do now. A lamp to my feet. It tells me what step to take tomorrow. What to do now. What to do in the next few hours. It's a lamp to my feet. I'm not working in darkness. The word of God is shining a lamp that allows me to know what step to take next. But guess what? It is not just a lamp to my feet. It's not just for what step do I take. It's not just for the immediate. It's a light to my path. It gives me vision for the future. It helps me see what God has planned for me. And the word of God does that. I like the way the Passion Translation puts that scripture. Psalms 119 verse 105. Truths, listen to this. Truths shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. Truths shining light, the word of God, guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. How do I make my pathway clear? By the revelation of your word. How, do I, how am I guided in choices and decisions? By truth shining light, the revelation of your word. You see, if we don't have that in our lives, the enemy will have us. The psalmist goes on to say in Psalms 119 verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, we ask all the time, 
How do I make sure I can live a life that's pleasing to God? How do I make sure I can live a holy life, a right life? How do I make sure that I don't go back to my vomit like a dog? How do I make sure? Well, the Bible says just hide the word of God in your heart. Just hide it. Bury it in your heart. You know, read, study, meditate, think about it. Lie on your bed like the psalmist says and think about the word of God. Do it enough times. The word of God gets into your heart and eventually the, the enemy has to give way to you. You know, they say, listen to this, they say it takes 63 days. That's three cycles of 21 days. Carolyn Leaf, Leaf says this, and she's, she, this is, she's an expert in this area. That it takes 63 days, three cycles of 21 days, to renew a thought pattern. Yeah? So, if I have a negative thought pattern, it's, it's a result of circumstances I've been through. The enemy has taken advantage of those circumstances and he has planted a thought pattern in my life. It's a pattern. I just can't get away from it. It comes up at the wrong times, comes up, just, just shows up and takes control. It's roaming around in my mind. It's negative. It's toxic. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. I need to get it out of my system. Now, this is, this, she's, a, she's, 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 a, she's a, an expert in this area, a doctorate degree, written loads of books, um, is, is, is a scientist, but is so so passionate about the Word of God and has connected the two. She says it will take you 63 days to change that thought pattern. It takes 21 days to break it down. You have to break a thought pattern. You're at it for 21 days. And then it takes 42 days to establish a new thought pattern. So of course there's some effort involved. You don't just listen to a service and think that's it. No, 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 no. You listen to this service and put this away, then that's, that, that, that's all it's going to have been, a service that blessed you. You have to decide this thought pattern is not of God. These thoughts are not of God, and I need to destroy it. And you've got to be determined and committed to do, doing so. And you do that by filling yourself with the Word of God. Amen? You know, it's interesting that um, when Paul describes our battle with the enemy, uh, he, he, he declares to us that the offensive weapon we have as Christians is the Word of God. You know, to not be in the Word of God is to set yourself up to lose this battle. He says in Ephesians 6 verse 17, he says, uh, take the helmet of salvation, that's, that's one of the weapons, and the final weapon, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you know, Jesus sets an example for us when the tempter comes, when Satan comes against him in Matthew's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Every time the enemy came against him, his response was by the Word of God. When the enemy came against him and the enemy says to him, in verse 3 and 4 of Matthew 4, you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. His answer is, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you know, when, we, when, uh, when, I, say, when I say this, especially I've preached this uh, once or twice before, it, it can seem daunting. You know, am I expected to quote verbatim the word of God? No, 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 no. God is not that kind of examiner. He just wants you to be diligent. Diligent in study, diligent in meditation, and then leave the Spirit of God to bring the Word of God out from where it is hidden in your heart 
Sometimes it hides in your heart. Even you can't find it naturally. But when you need the word of God, the spirit of God, part of his responsibility is to bring it to your remembrance. You just have to keep studying, reading, studying, meditating, confessing, and declaring the word of God. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. And I'm believing God that we will win the battle of our minds. We'll take control of our minds back from the enemy. We will seize control of that battleground back from the enemy. We will chase away every thought that is not of God. Our minds will no longer be a garden where half the space are lovely flowers that are planted by God and half the space are weeds and tears that have been planted by the enemy. We will chase every thought down in our minds, hunt it down and take it captive, shackle every negative thought, every toxic thought and throw it out of our minds. We will eventually give our minds to God as a garden where he can plant only his own thoughts, the word of God. Hallelujah. And I pray that will be your portion. You see, it's all about words. The, in, the, in the story that we started with, it was words. The, 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 the words were spoken to them. They heard the words. They received them into their thought life. They spoke those words back. They were confessing and declaring what they had received into their thought life. And the result will, will be when you receive it into your thought life and you speak it, declare it, confess it, and do it over and over again by the Spirit of God, it has to bear fruit. Uh, and that is my prayer for us as a church, that we will become a people who are rooted in the Word of God. I'm talking about being rooted in the Word of God. You know, there are things we put out there to encourage you. I do the cornerstone um, every single week. Every week I choose a scripture as it's laid on my heart. It just takes a few minutes. I share that scripture with you. Just by following the cornerstone, you can change your life. Because every week you'll get a scripture you can meditate on, you can confess, you can declare. And as you do that week after week, and we've got loads of testimonies as to how the, the scriptures have spoken into people's particular circumstances. Those scriptures become part of you, a second nature to you. Um, and they become a sword in your hand in the war against the enemy. So please um, um, subscribe to the Cornerstone. You know, listen to those scriptures. We'll send them to you every, every week, every Monday. And you have a whole week to meditate on the scriptures, think about them and confess them. And then also the Bible study we do on Monday. You know, these things are absolutely necessary tools. You know, you can't be a Christian if you're not in the Word of God. That will be flaky Christianity, carnal Christianity. And that's what leads to all the mistakes that people make. Wrong choices and wrong decisions because they are not in the Word of God. You know, establish yourself in the Word of God. Take advantage of the Bible study. It's so easy now. 7 p.m. on Monday, you're in your house, you know, and you just use any of your devices and log in. And that, way, that, that is different from a Sunday service. Sunday we are preaching. Um, we might teach uh, part of the preaching, but really it's to encourage us. Bible study, we break down the Word of God. Like the Berean Christians, we give ourselves a chance to break down the Word of God. And please, whatever you do, come into the realm of meditating on the Word of God and then confessing and declaring the Word of God. Hallelujah. And as we do that, we take back control of our minds so that we can submit this awesome machinery that God has put in us so that, that, that God can then 
uh, infuse it with his spirit and we can use it to achieve God's plans and purposes. Your mind is a powerful machinery in you and we're going to take the limits of it by God's grace. God bless you. Hallelujah. Uh, as, as I end, I would like to invite anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Your, your mind is, is open season in your mind for the enemy to sow whatever he wants. It's a relationship with Christ that brings the Spirit of God into your heart, that allows the Spirit of God to control your ear gates and your eye gates, take control of your life, that allows you to uproot all those weeds as you develop your relationship with God. So if you're there anywhere in this world, you're watching this, you have, you're, you're, I'm giving your life to Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, why don't you take advantage of this opportunity? It's simple, very simple. I just, I'm going to say a prayer. Join me in the prayer. Mean every word of it. And, and, and Jesus comes into your heart and starts a relationship with you. If you would like to do that, would you say this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Today I invite your son Jesus into my heart. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for receiving me into your family. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you will give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you. I make a commitment today to turn away from anything that I am doing that is sinful as I embrace a life of obedience to you. Help me, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it. A simple prayer. And the Bible says you're translated from darkness into his marvelous light. You become a child of his. You have become a child of his. You have a birthday when you were born, but today, please note the date, you are born again. And if you said that prayer, the Bible tells us one thing that's happening in heaven, there are celebrations in heaven. We want to copy that here on earth. We also want to help you along this journey. Hallelujah. Well, we're grateful to God for this journey. We continue to press on as we journey towards God's promises. God bless you.